Amen. I love Abby, and uh, I had her as a student, and it's so much fun watching her as Pastor Abby. Wow, I love it. <laughs> Chaplain Abby, before you know it. So, uh, I love. There's a lot of you that I know, and I love. I love so many of you. Um, I love your pastors. I, I, this is a place where everybody's a full-time minister here. I've noticed that. You're all like all in. You're all fully committed. You, you know, you, you're, you serve the Lord according to your gifts and callings and talents, but uh, you guys are making a difference. I mean, uh, it's crazy what this church gets done and, uh, you know, just affecting Haiti recently. And uh, so I saw your pastor yesterday, as we often do, we bump into each other at camp. And so, uh, you know, he's done, he and his wife have done such a great job, and, and the kids, uh, loving my daughter, uh, who's 16, and just making her feel like she's a champion and making her feel like she, uh, you know, has a place of service in, in youth camps and things, and, and incredible love. Uh, but then I bumped into to Barry yesterday, and I, he wasn't feeling very well, and I was visiting with him, and I said, man, I know what you've been doing. I said, I saw you at conference, and I saw you all summer in camps, and I, saw, I know you're in, I, and you're headed to Israel, and you got all, I said, how are you doing all this? And he goes, well, I, I'm actually not feeling very well. And I go, well, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And he said, well, I'm preaching on compassion fatigue, you know, like when you give too much, and you start to be worn out, and you start to not. I said... All right. I said, well, I said, is there anybody else that could preach for you tomorrow? And he goes, well, uh, <laughs> I said, you know what? That is the exact subject that I love. So that's, that's kind of my area of specialty. So I said, even though I you know, don't have much time to prepare because I was counseling pastors up until about 10 o'clock last night, uh, I said, I, I think I can just run with that. It might be less organized than I would normally do in a sermon, but probably more fold, filled with truth because it's the area I study, think about, pray about, and do every day. So I hope you'll receive it. It's a little disorganized, but it'll have uh, clear truth in it. And the Lord set it up. I mean, he already knew what was happening. Once I said yes, I, I started thinking, and I thought, man, Lord, you have really been setting this up. Uh, I, so on Thursday... I was getting ready to go up to camp to, to spend a couple of days uh, counseling pastors. We started this two years ago. We go up there and offer uh, sessions with leaders and uh, where you know, they can have some private time, confidential, deal with whatever's going on in their life. Uh, Fernando, our, our district supervisor, says, you never have to report to me anything they say. What it's about has no, it won't affect their jobs. They just have a safe place to, to get healthier. And so... Um, I was feeling the stress of that, getting some preparations for it. Uh, I've, I've uh, now sat down with about 200 leaders over the last two years, uh, privately, one-on-one, uh, listening to their stories. And I mean, leaders are like everybody else. They're facing all kinds of things. You know, they're under a demonic attack, uh, like all the rest of us. But there's even more of an attack the more someone's a shepherd, because, you know, if, if the enemy can destroy the shepherd, he can destroy the sheep, Right. Uh, and so he can harm more of us the more he harms our leaders. And uh, so anyway, I was preparing, and then uh, my, this was homecoming for, uh, for uh, Benita. Uh, for you Glendora people, I'm sorry. My, my, my daughter plays volleyball, 
And our arch enemy that we would love to beat but never do would be Glendora High School. But it's just not possible in volleyball to beat them. But anyway, my daughter, every year we have hopes. And uh, so anyway, it was homecoming this weekend. And so, uh, my, you know, I was busy, but my, my daughter and a bunch of her friends were renting something to go to this homecoming dance last night. And, and they were going to all come take pictures in our backyard. And we had this old tree that died because we didn't water it last year during the drought. And so it's just been sitting there, and I've been breaking it off and using it for firewood. But my wife said to me Thursday, you know, that tree really needs to be, it needs to come down. And I went, you mean like before Saturday? And she said, yeah. I go, well, like I'm leaving tomorrow for camp. And, you know, so, but love demands that we serve, right? And so I didn't feel like I had much, I kind of felt like I was on fumes with regard to time. But I thought, okay. So she left, and she didn't really ask me, you know, where, you know, she didn't. She just let me know it needed to be done, and uh, but because I love her, I started trying to figure out can I make this happen somehow. So while she was gone, uh, getting her hair done or something, I, I, I thought, okay, I think I could get that thing down before sunset. So I went and found my chainsaw and I started sawing, and uh, and my chainsaw I had loaned it out to my neighbor because love, you know, you're generous and you give away that which you have, and you know how it is when you give tools out to your neighbor. Uh, I have a great neighbor, but my tool, I didn't realize, what, he'd given it back to me a, a few weeks ago, and uh, the chain was loose, hanging down, you know, so I had to l- do some tightening and all this, and uh, I barely could get the thing to work, and I finally got it working, and so I'm getting on the tree, and normally it's just like, you know, and it's kind of fun, it's really a male thing, you know, you just like, you know, it's like, you know, and it says never hold it with just one hand, but sometimes I just got to go, you know, it's just, <laughs> I, I juggle, and every now and then I think, oh, maybe I should just juggle it, and no, that's too much, yeah, so, and I would really be in trouble today, uh, but the thing was not working like that. I'm putting it on the branch, and I'm, smoke is coming out. I'm thinking, I don't remember this thing smoking like this, you know? And I used it for a while. Finally, I sit down and found the instructions and started reading it. It says, if, the, if, the, if it becomes dull, it will smoke. And it, and, and it was making the, even the branch after it was cut was all black and everything. So some of you guys know this. I didn't know that. And uh, so I thought, man, the thing's dull. I can't go sharpen it. So I thought, I have this other old chainsaw that I hadn't been able to get working for a while. Maybe I can get it working. So I went Messed with it, finally got it up and working. Thankfully, it had a newer chain on it. So <clears throat> I started chain, you know, cutting. But one of the things that happened before I got the, and one of the things I learned, by the way, the, the, the one that wasn't very sharp, it's putting out little tiny, fine, you know, sawdust. But the, once I got the other chain on there, man, it's putting out chunks. Bam, bam, bam. You know, these big old chunks are flying out and they're stacking up there. And I'm like, and it's starting to feel good again. And I'm just cutting that thing. And I did get it done just as the sun was setting and just before I was about to collapse for lack of uh, calories. <laughs> just, you know, but I was feeling very manly. I just want you to know. It was, it was a great feeling. I thought, I feel like Reagan, you know, after you chop the wood or something. And uh, I could be president or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's good for a man's soul, I think, to hold a chainsaw or at least power tools. Uh, at least that's what the country song says, right? Uh, so I, once I, I did have this one thing that happened. So when I was cutting with the dull one, it was so slow going through. At one point, I had this one long, long log, and I was trying to cut it in half to get it to fit into the uh, fireplace uh, next winter. 
And uh, so I, I thought, you know what? I think I could break this faster. I'd gotten it kind of cut on both directions. I think I can break this faster than continuing to cut it. So I grabbed it and I just, you know, swung it and I was really feeling Reagan-ish, you know, and I'm swinging and it doesn't break. And I thought, I'm going to go all in and I'm going to break this stupid thing. And so I took it and just swung as hard as I could. Bam! And when I did, I don't even know the physics of it, but the piece that broke off the other half somehow moved upward. I don't understand how that worked exactly, but it came up, bam, right in my head. I saw stars I felt like I was probably going to be able to be in the NFL testing of brain trauma. (laughs) I I wondered, you know, okay, what just happened in my brain? And uh, there was a big old bruise here. I remember when my wife got home, she goes, oh, thanks for putting the tree down, you know, taking the tree. You're you're welcome. I said, I think I will have some huge bruise here, you know. And she goes, you'll be okay. (laughs) It's okay, honey. (laughs) So uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought, but it it felt like it was just like I was expecting blood to be dripping down my eye at any moment. And um, So here's the thing. A couple weeks ago in my devotions, I was in uh, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 10.10. Open your Bibles there. Ecclesiastes 10.10. Interesting verse. It says, when the axe is dull, or I could change that to chainsaw, when the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed, and it says, but skill will bring success, or I like some of the other versions, that one's New American Standard, I think, but uh, some of the other versions say, wisdom will bring success. So wisdom is go get the other chainsaw that is sharp and use it. And so when I think about how much I cut with the dull chainsaw before I took the time to go figure out how to get the sharp chainsaw running again, it was worth the investment of what it took to get that one running. And it was just some uh, oil and gas problems and, you know, and, and a switch that I didn't know about. But once I figured it out, you know... I needed a little wisdom and knowledge. But once I had the wisdom and knowledge to get the other one running, and then I have the sharper chainsaw, I cut that tree down so fast. I mean, it was just, I was knocking it out. It was actually really fun. I was just, you know, just stacking them up. And uh, it was a great feeling of accomplishment. Let me just say that there's many places in our life where God's called us to love. He's called us to, you know, love our families, love our spouse, uh, to love our community, to love ourselves, to love Him. And fulfilling that call to love requires sacrifice. You know, He says, no greater love is no one than this, that He lays down His life. So it's sacrificial, it's work, it's, it, you know, it can even be work all the way to the point of your death, would be, He says, is the greatest love. But it's uh, something that requires effort and energy, But many times we're doing it unwisely. So we're doing it with good intentions. We're doing it with hard work. We're doing it with discipline. We're doing it with, uh, we're laboring. And and, there's a call to be diligent. The hand of the diligent shall prosper. You know, the the mind of the diligent tends toward plenteousness. But in our diligence sometimes, we're not wise. And so we're, we're, we're just swinging the axe, and we're like, I will love this community. I will love my spouse. I will. Lo-. And sometimes we need to say, you know what? It could be smarter 
to get wiser about how to love my spouse, about how to love my community, about how to love my small group, about how to love my children. And so we have to blend somewhere the effort of loving and the wisdom of knowing how to love better. We're going to talk about that. In uh, Mark chapter 12, if you want to go over there, Mark chapter 12, uh, I love this because, you know, I like getting down, like, what really matters? And Mark 12 is that place where Jesus tells us what really matters. He says, basically, everything can come down to this. You know, there are some uh, other places. Paul says, and quotes the, the, the Bible to say, um, he's quoting the Old Testament to say, uh, when you love, all the other commandments are caught up in that. Okay? In Mark 12 here is where G- Jesus has asked the question, uh, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And they're trying to trip him up. But he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is Mark 12, 29. You shall love the Lord, all your, uh, the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's the first commandment. The second is like it. And this one's a little tricky. There's, it's got a, hidden, got a hidden part in it that we don't always address very well. Especially when I work with pastors and leaders. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So there's, there's actually three commandments, isn't there? You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. So he puts those two together because they're very intertwined. But uh, because we see what is called self-love, just like, you know, so, like the world tries to tell you love is all about sex with as many people as possible, right? And that's not love, right? Uh, the world... Uh, tries to tell you that loving yourself is all about being selfish. And that's not love either, is it? So just because some people misdefine love, we have to watch that we don't throw out love. We just need to make sure that we get the right definition and, and understanding of what it is. <clears throat> it says, love your neighbors yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, so there's, he, he, he works it in so it's repeated here, Mark, as he quotes this. Um, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, there's no other but he, and to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your soul, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as oneself is more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. I love the way it gets repeated the second time. Do you remember Saul when he gets in trouble? Okay, you got David, the adulterer, the guy that kills someone to get a wife, you know, the one who, (laughs) to get a wife that he's not supposed to have, that he's been lusting after, you know, the one who is the man after God's own heart. And then you got Saul, who does none of those things. I mean, Saul's like a pretty good guy. But Saul, uh, the one thing Saul does that really makes God angry is Saul decides to have the biggest religious uh, celebration of all time. He says, I'm not going to get rid of the, uh, the, the, these uh, bulls and rams and everything that we, that we captured. 
uh, because we're going to do a great big celebration. It's going to be so good. It's going to be huge. You know, you can just see him. <laughs> no political statement there. Well, maybe only a little. Uh, we're going to do this great, great, grand religious thing. You know, it's going to be so great. And Samuel says to him, that's not what God asked you to do. To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than doing something big that looks good for God. To obey is better than doing something that looks like big love for God, but it's actually little love for God because it's in disobedience. It's out of human effort versus out of God obedience. We get caught up in that all the time as Christians. We start to take on the things of God. I can't tell you how many of the sessions even yesterday had to do with, with leaders who had begun to own the ministry again. They had started off you know, hearing God say, I want you to plant a church or I want you to pastor. And they're like, me? <laughs> really? Yeah, you. Oh. you know, Isaiah 6, we were singing it earlier. Hear my Lord, send me. Okay, man, this is going to be funny. I can't imagine that I can do that. But with your help, Lord, sure. Okay, if you're calling me. You're behind me. Let's, let's give it a try. Let's go for it. Ministers start off there. You know, we start off in whatever ministries and things we do. We're so, we're relying on the Lord. We're humble. We know, you know, apart from him, we can do nothing. With him, we can do all things. But at some point, things are, go, you know, go well. We get things done. We preach some great sermons, you know. People get saved. You know, good stuff happens. And we start to think, I'm pretty good, man. I'm kind of like Reagan, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm a good leader, you know, I'm a, you know, this chainsaw feels good, you know, I can do this, I'm, oh, I'm manly, you know, I mean, whatever it is, we just begin to have that arrogance and pride that comes in, and the next thing you know, uh, we are running things, and we're no longer in that broken place of humility, we're no longer in that place where we know where the strength's coming from. And we start to think, by the work of my hand, you know, uh, Deuteronomy 8.18, he says, I'm going to prosper you, but don't ever think it was the work of your hand that prospered you. It was me that gave you the power to get wealth, that I might establish my covenant in the land, Deuteronomy 8.18. And so, uh, whether it's our business, our career, our nice house we live in, our car, whatever, we begin to think, you know, I don't know about other people, but this is the house I got. This is the car I drive. This is the job I got because I worked hard. And, I, you know, and we begin to take on and we forget we didn't even have, we wouldn't exist if God hadn't given it to us. We wouldn't have any talents if God didn't give them to us. We wouldn't have a clear mind if God didn't give it to us. We wouldn't have the ability to have gone to college if God hadn't made it possible. We wouldn't have, you know, whatever. It all is a gift from the Lord. It all flows from him. And Saul had forgot that and he begins to say, you know what, I know what God wants, but I know what's better because I am Saul. And so we're going to do this great sacrifice. The people are going to love it. They're going to love me. They're going to love it all. It's going to be great. And so he, the Lord says, I'm done with you. David, meanwhile, does some horrible things. I mean, he is so sinful. He would be in jail, you know what I mean? He would not be a leader that would continue, you know, today because of the things he did. And yet, God says, he's a man after my own heart because he stayed humble and broken through it all. So he, he does some big screw-ups. He really messes up big. 
But he, he knows where his strength comes from. He knows, you know, he doesn't try to take Saul down when he could get Saul. He doesn't, he doesn't even take down Absalom when Absalom's in rebellion against him. He stays in this place of humility and trust in the Lord where instead of owning it himself, he realizes who owns everything. And so David, because of that one trait of humility, that one trait of, of, of sort of understanding who's God and who's not, it gives him incredible power. So Jesus said, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we can begin to do it in our own strength. You know, Jesus got tired. He's on the boat sleeping in the middle of a storm. I mean, fatigue in ministry, fatigue in serving your spouse, fatigue in serving your children, you know, that's okay. I mean, it's normal, and diligence and hard work is it's from the Lord. Uh, but there are times when we've crossed over beyond what God's asked us to do, and we're not in obedience anymore. We're in drivenness. We're in human effort. We're in, God's not doing it, so I'm going to do it. We're in, I haven't heard from God, so I'm just going to make it up as I go. Uh, we're in that place where, you, you know it, because we all do this, right? Are you, can you guys relate to this? Is this normal for you as well or just me? Uh, you know, this is, I, I told a couple of pastors, I said, this is the daily battle. And I didn't even know I was preaching about this yet. But I told them in, in our sessions, this is the daily battle of a leader to figure out how to stay in the place of brokenness where God's doing it, not you. It took 40 years with Moses. You know, he tries to do it by his own effort. God sends him to be a shepherd, the lowest job of the, of the day uh, in Midian. And after 40 years, can now return him back to, and he's like, I can't speak, I can't do anything, I can't, no. Can my brother come at least? I can lean on him, you know. And so he, Moses is completely at a broken place, and he's finally able to lead 2 million people out into the wilderness and, and into the promised land because of that brokenness. Although it did arise one other time where he said, I don't care what God said, I'm going to strike the rock because I'm doing it in my own effort again. Oh, dang, that's the old own effort thing. There I went again. I oh, don't get to see the problem. I get to see it, but I don't get to go in. It's a human challenge to stay in the place of trust. I've got three questions for you if they have the PowerPoint. All right, these are great spiritual condition questions. Uh, number one, do you read the Bible more than anyone else around you? Oh, wait, that was not up there. Number two, do you pray more than everyone else so that God will bless you? Oh, wait, that was not there either. Are you the holiest person you know, more righteous and more self-righteous? Oh, wait, that's not the right question either, is it? Obviously, if it's all about performing spiritually more than anyone else, then the Pharisees win. All right? They win, hands down. I mean, they even tithe on their pepper and their salt, you know? They, they're like, you know, the Pharisees got this thing down. I mean, they, all right, but Jesus was not impressed with the Pharisees. He had to continually say, this is, the Pharisees is not the right picture of spiritual life. So these are some better questions, I think. Uh, I, I drew these uh, from several leaders, uh, John Ortberg in particular, uh, the, a couple of the questions are questions that he has a mentor that asked. I think his mentor was Dallas Willard uh, when I was, was listening to him share this, and I later learned more about his story. And uh, 
But Dallas would ask him these questions to test, you know, where's John, how's John Ortberg doing? And uh, I've developed them a little bit. I've used them at Life Pacific when I was teaching there. Uh, am I becoming more or less anxious and fearful lately? Ask yourself that. Because when we're starting to feel lots of anxiousness and fearfulness, it's a great question of where our faith life is. Am I becoming more or less tired, distracted, and sometimes hard-driven? Have you ever gotten to that place where you are, it's kind of that that thing where you're like, God's not doing it, so I'm going to do it. And we start to be driven by, we just like, we're going to wake up earlier, we're going to work harder, and there's nothing wrong with diligence. This is not diligence when God asks you to do something and he's asked you to be diligent. This is that kind of drivenness that says, I don't know where God is, but I'm going to fix this. I'm going to solve this. I'm going to take care of this. And, and we begin to move in our human effort. And uh, oftentimes, there, you, there's kind of a drivenness that you see in people. They begin to ignore higher priorities like spouse, or they begin to, you know, I was this person. I've been a workaholic at times in my life, and it's cost me dearly. Um, and I, I begin to ignore uh, really important things like my devotions or my love time with God. But, but I'm just driven because somebody's got to do this, and I'm just taking the responsibility. I'm just being a good steward. I'm just, you know, and you can justify it in your head pretty easily. But, there's a, but somebody else can look at you and go, and, and I've had people say this. I remember when I was a church planter in Virginia, somebody said to me one time, uh, we get done about two, right? Is that right? Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> ten till, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Is it really ten till noon? Is that, or what time do you guys actually finish normally? 11.30, 12? Don't say when you're done. That is like not a smart thing to say. Abby will tell you that is not a smart thing to say. I, it has happened at the college that during a break, someone has moved the clock 15 minutes shorter. Smart Alex. <laughs> um, 15 till, r- roughly 10 till, something like that. Okay, good. All right. What was I saying? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, in, in Virginia, well, I was saying something and I got distracted on the time. What's that? Yes. Who knows what I was going to say? Oh, well, it'll come back. <laughs> I'll think of it in a minute. The point is, we start to do it in our own strength. Oh, yeah, I just was remembering as a church planner, working all the time, and then having this really wise elder type. You know, elders, these are the elder types that don't really have to have a title elder. They're just the kinds that have walked with God for so long, and, and here's the other thing I've learned about them. They've suffered along the way. And in their suffering and walking with the Lord, there's some sort of a residue of wisdom that you're just with them and their being changes you. They don't have to have a position. They don't have to have a title. Just being with them transforms. So I had one of those guys, Dr. Hunt, and he he looked at me and he said, Pat, you, you seem kind of driven lately. Yeah, I'm working hard, man. Amen, man. I'm loving it. You know, they love pastoring and all. You know, and he's like, no, man, I don't mean it that way. I mean, you're driven. I'm going, yeah, driven's good, isn't it? He goes, no, bro, it's not, it's not good. <laughs> you know, he's like, it means you're, you're moving in the flesh. You're filled with uh, effort, but not peace. You know, you're filled with uh, 
lots of anxious, fearfulness. You know, you're tired, distracted. You're distracted from even important things. You're, you're misunderstanding people, and you're just you're driven, and you've taken it, you've taken it all on yourself instead of living in the place of yieldedness and brokenness before the Lord. Third question there is, am I becoming more or less annoyed, frustrated, and critical of people lately? And whoever it is that's chomping gum right now, would you please stop that? No. <laughs> you know how it is. You get, you know, when you get in that place, your soul's not doing well. You know, somebody can be doing something very simple, and you're just like, would you, I am going to hit you if you don't say, really, you're hitting me because I'm chomping gum? Uh, maybe you should have a Sabbath, you know? Something's going, you know, <laughs> something's not right here. And so those are great tests. So you start thinking about, where am I at? And when those areas, those faith, hope, and love areas are starting to struggle, then you know things have gotten out of whack. You've got to find a way to sharpen the chain. You've got to find a way to kind of get healthier. So let's talk about that. How do, we, how do we get healthier? How do we do self-care? A good definition of uh, self-care and the idea of where Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, is what are the areas I need to gain capacity so that I can love better? I needed to gain capacity in that chainsaw so I could get the job done to, to love and serve my wife better. That was a very tangible, practical thing. But on a daily basis, I need to gain capacity in communication skills, in conflict resolution, in knowing my wife's love languages. I need to gain capacity in what are the, the best practices of the best marriages, what are the elder marriages like? How could I learn from them? I need to gain capacity. So it's one thing to say, but I love my wife. I love her so much. I work hard all the time to love my wife. I love you, right, honey? You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm not feeling safe right now, but what's the right answer? I'll give the right answer, whatever that is. Sometimes our efforts, our human efforts, aren't what's really important, but what's important is to do it with wisdom, to gain capacity, to let God, uh, to come back from the effort for a little while to gain capacity. Sometimes uh, that capacity comes in different ways, and, and we'll talk about a number of these ways. So loving yourself is about gaining capacity so that you have more to give away. So it really is still loving others. It's still loving God more, but you, you're loving yourself in the ways that will give you further capacity. Sometimes that's a massage, you know? Darling, I'm just trying to be biblical. I booked myself a massage. I got to go just, you know, oh, so tight and grumpy and, you know. I mean, it can be, you know, what, what is it that fills your bucket? What is it that, you know, sort of fills you up? You've got to know what those things are. And you've got to build those in. So for me, it's crazy. Bike riding is one of those things. You know, I, I, I'm this crazy cyclist. And so, in fact, I think of this church a lot because we end up riding. You know, I ride up uh, Glendora Mountain Road quite often. Had a fun visit there 
a few weeks ago, I, I came around the corner. This, this truck came flying past me with these two teenagers, and I came around the corner, and the truck was upside down, and the teenagers were climbing out the doors, and uh, I was able to call the, uh, their, their parents and get them some help. They were okay, and followed up with some, some I said, you, do you know God? I said, because God just saved your life. I said, the angels were really busy. I said, I don't know if you know about angels and God. And I said, but let me just tell you, you just survived because uh, you could be way worse right now. And I said, in fact, just about 100 yards from here, I saw another car go off. Another day I was riding my bike up there. And you might ask, why are you riding your bike up there? So (laughs) sometimes I'm asking the same thing. All right, so what sharpens your saw? Here's what I want you to do really quick. Turn to someone, and I want you to give them one, one or two things that sharpen your saw, that fills you up, that helps you be better in loving God or loving other people. Go ahead and give one or two, three to the, some people around you. You can go ahead and take the, the PowerPoint off. What were some of the answers? What kind of things sharpen your saws? Sleep, absolutely. Sleep. What? Friends, absolutely. Friends is so important. I love, you know, one thing that I love about your pastors, they have friends. 70% of pastors have zero friends. Yeah, I count your, I count your pastors, my friends. I feel like I can be 100% honest with Barry, with Megan, but especially with Barry, and it's going to be safe. And he, he feels that with me. You know what I mean? You have so few people that you just feel like you can tell them. I'm not going to quote my wife the way she'd word it. You know how she'd word it. And when she says she has a nice southern accent, so she'll use, it is a biblical word, but, I, but it's a rude one, so I'm not going to say it. But <laughs> it rhymes with it. All right, we all have some of that. And uh, if I say it, it always sounds rude. Like, oh, man, that guy is so vulgar and rude. You know, but my wife will say it, and it just sounds so southern and sweet and charming. And anyway. But we do have that stuff in our life, those things. All right, so what were some other things that refresh you? Charity. I love that. Generosity does, doesn't it? It's fun to, to give things away. What else? Yes, quietness for sure. Yes. One of the things they found, uh, Ruth Haley Barton, if you've never read her, I highly recommend her. Uh, you know, we have these guys like Foster and Dallas Willard and all these men that write about connecting with God. And God raised up Ruth Haley Barton, so this woman's voice talking about how to connect with God. And I don't know, I get refreshed hearing a different perspective sometimes. And her, her stuff just refreshes me because it's like I've already read Foster and Willard and uh, you know, uh, some other guys. <laughs> I'm not thinking of them right now, but anyway, Ruth Haley Barton has a, 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 she talks about in prayer that the, the longer, when you start off early as a Christian, it's all about making lists and demands and asking, but you move into more eldership where it's all about listening and hearing and receiving and being with and laying your head on the breast of Jesus like John did. And we go kind of from being Peter to John, you know, and so, anyway, that's a, that's a sweet place uh, that the saints down through history have learned that silence and solitude is huge for refreshing. What else? Uh, 
Sorry, Isaac, what do you got back there? Yes? <laughs> when I first met Isaac, I was running marathons. So I, I, was, I was like, Isaac, I run marathons. He's like, yeah, but I do it in about, you know, seven-minute miles or so. I don't know, five-minute miles. <laughs> I go, well, I do it like 20-minute miles, you know. I can <laughs> Anyway, and being without children, right? Absolutely, you have to uh, share, you know, somehow in the body of Christ, you know. Uh, tell you what, I bring my kids to your house tomorrow, you bring your kids to my house the next day. How about that? Okay, we'll do it. All right. Mom's day off, or, you know, if you don't have in-laws and outlaws and other people around to do, so, you know, somebody, so. Uh, what else? Give me one or two more. Music, yes, yes. For me, and I think I heard Isaac say that, uh, my favorite refreshing with the Lord, especially if I want to hear his voice, is to put my headphones on, some great music, and then I go ride up GMR or I go ride around Benelli, and, and somehow that's just my most, but I'm weird, so that, but that's my refreshing place. That's my Garden of Gethsemane. You know, where is your Garden of Gethsemane? Where do you go if you have to connect with the Father? Could you answer that? Where would it be? What would you do? For me, it's a ride around Benelli with the headphones on and worship. Uh, even sometimes it's a mixture of worship and secular because it kind of connects me with where people are at and where, I, and where I'm at with the Lord. And then and those songs together make me think, okay, this is what people are thinking and this is where God is and how do I get those two together? And it kind of works in my sense of calling uh, when I mix the two. And that's my way of justifying secular music. So... <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> that is sweet. Let's look at each of these. Let's, let's, uh, I love that. In fact, I got refreshed hearing it. <laughs> just, you know, that did something in my soul just to hear that. You should write that a little bit. You know, it's like uh, sometimes reading a good book can do it as well. You know, or you read other other things that just take you some other place. And um, I had a I got to speak at conference on the idea of sabbatical and 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 uh, tying it sort of into also Sabbath for pastors. And um, uh, it was fun to hear a pastor yesterday tell me, I, after I heard your message, I took the first Sabbath I've ever taken as a pastor. And I was like, you think about when God gave Sabbath, like in, in the Ten Commandments, he, said, you know, he talks about, I'm the God who brings you out of Egypt. What happened in Egypt? They were slaves. They couldn't work enough. They had taskmasters, and it was all about commerce and production and produce more and, and even bricks without straw. And, and, you know, and when they come out, the Lord says, basically, I'm a different God than those gods in Egypt. I'm a God who rests, and I'm a God who commands you to rest. I command you to rest to say at least once a week, one out of seven days, I do not produce or own any of this. It's all his. And so I'll use those other six days in service 
activating what God's given me to activate, but I will take a day off recognizing that God's in charge, not me. And so the idea of Sabbath uh, is really important. By the way, Sabbath, uh, spirit, soul, and body, you know, we're loving Him in all those ways. This is one of the ways that spiritually we get refreshed, is Sabbath. And in Sabbath, um, I'm looking to see the age of the children here, okay. Uh, in Sabbath, what do you do on Sabbath? Well, Sabbath is okay to come together with God's people. That's often very refreshing. The conversations that are had, the, the encouragements, there's my brother, there's my sister. We also serve. You know, we come and we usher and we wave to cars as they drive by and we you know, bring them in. And this church is so loving. It's fun. As I was driving up, I feel like, ah, I want to be here. This is great. It just makes me want to be here, you know, because of the ways everybody's serving and the, and, and the way you guys just transform this into the community of Christ. So there's some service, but you wouldn't want to overdo it. Like, for a pastor, it's his hardest working day. So there, he never comes away from Sunday feeling refreshed. Pastors always come away feeling completely drained. So they have to pick another day sometime that they take off, um, usually a Friday or a Monday uh, as, a, as a sap of the day. That, and so what do they do on the sap? Well, you, you try not to work. You do things. You could work in the garden if that's refreshing. You know, you can have conversations with your spouse if that's refreshing. Hopefully it is. If not, let's work on that. Uh, you can read books. You know, you can listen to music. You go running. That's when I do my long bike rides is on our Sabbath. We, our favorite Sabbath. So, so here's what we've heard. The best Sabbath, uh, we were in Israel in March, <clears throat> And we did this weird Israel trip that I had, I'd done it before, all prepared with lots of people and all this, big buses and all that. But we did one. Uh, my, I have one, one of my kids, uh, they have two small children. And so they wanted to go to Israel, and they wanted to have babysitters come along. So they invited uh, my wife and I. And so <laughs> basically that was the story. So I said, let's do an unplugged version. Let's do it. We got these really incredible trips. We flew over uh, to Sweden for like, I think, $150 each, uh, each way. And so that was, you know, that's a big part of the trip. And then we, we said, let's do Airbnbs. So we're staying in people's homes and stuff. And let's, and we, you know, so we rented cars, did Airbnb. So we're in Israel and we're in this Airbnb with this Jewish family uh, staying up in their second floor and we're hanging out with them and we start talking about Sabbath. And I mean, it was so much fun just having this conversation with this Jewish couple. They were Orthodox Jews. And uh, so he told me as we were having this conversation, he says, well, you know, he says, uh, he says, on Sabbath, there's a special blessing uh, if you have sex on the Sabbath. He said, you should always have sex with your spouse on the Sabbath. God blesses that. I said, brother, I will quote you. I love this. <laughs> that is good news. All right, so, so that's an okay Sabbath thing if you're married and, you're, you know, and you're <laughs> you have a spouse. So <laughs> you, you get that part of Sabbath as well. It's refreshing, you know? <laughs> so... Um, so it's all those things that refresh and fill you and connect you with God and with other people and, and, and fill the bucket. You know, that's Sabbath. That's what you're meant to do on Sabbath. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's charity. I mean, you could go out and help the homeless or something on Sabbath. And, and if, it's, if it's a feeling of refreshing that comes from that, then you do that on Sabbath, you know? Uh, you just think in terms, what's refreshing me? What is it's filling me back up so I have more to give away and more, more love to give? Uh, so spirit, soul, uh, let's talk about soul in this area. How about marriage or relationships? How do you refresh for your relationships? You know, sometimes I sit with pastors and they're like, I have nothing, I give so much away, I have nothing to give away at home 
we have pastors come and stay in our house for three or four days of, of intensive marriage care. We've Over the last year, we've had uh, probably three or four of those uh, that we do this thing called Prepare and Rich that kind of gives them a snapshot of their marriage compared to national averages and worldwide averages. And, uh, you know, these guys are, these are people pastoring large, productive churches, very effective. If you see them, you'd say, that's the happiest little couple you ever saw in your life. They love each other so much. And then you get there preparing rich and you go, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> you know, how are you guys even still married? I'm not sure when I see zeros and, you know, you're supposed to have above 50 to, you know, sort of show health. Uh, and some people have 90s all the way across, you know, really healthy, happy marriages. And you see these pastor marriages that have zero, 10, 5, and some of these major areas of, of marriage and relationship. How do you refresh your marriage? Anybody got some just quick feedback on how you refresh your marriage? Disneyland, absolutely. Yeah, one of the couples that was with us, basically, they while they were here, they bought, they don't live in this area, but they bought uh, annual passes to Disneyland because for them, that's exactly the truth for them. They go as a couple, and they just find that that's super refreshing for them as a couple. Time apart. Yeah, all the retired people in here said amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, at some point, I need some refreshing so that I can love you still, you know, because we're with each other day and night. And I'm with, I work with a lot of older couples, and that's, that is the issue. Oftentimes, they need time apart. And you do need that blend in a marriage of, of time together, time apart. Any other things on marriage? Day tripping, yes. We call them mini moons sometimes because you, you can, it, just, it can be for a day or you can stay overnight, but have like a little honeymoon. Uh, I think couples should have uh, mini moons once a quarter at least. You should just book them into your calendar. They should be as holy as anything else in your calendar. Mini moon here, mini moon here, mini moon here. And you say, well, I don't have any money. Airbnb with a friend. Say, guys, can you come stay at our house? on this weekend, and we're going to come stay at your house on this weekend, and just being in somebody else's house is like, you know, okay, we're, it's, it's like staying in an Airbnb. It didn't cost you anything except giving your house up to someone, and somebody had to clean it, so, you know. By the way, you can use my house, but I charge a $75 cleaning fee, okay? No, no. <laughs> Mini moons, day trips, what else? Dancing, absolutely good for the brain as well. It's a refreshing thing for the brain. I just one friend, she's like in her 80s and she keeps winning these dance contests and she's, you know, she's amazing. Like uh, her, I was actually really good friends with her son who is already with the Lord and he would never take care of himself. He's a perfect example. I won't use his name. But I used to say to him, I almost called his name and you might know him, but uh, I said, you... It, you need to take care of yourself. I know. I'll just, I'll live when I want to, you know, how long God wants me to live and I'll die when God wants me to die. And apparently God wanted him to die young. I mean, because the guy died, he's my age. He died in his fifties of diseases that are hundred percent preventable just because he wouldn't take care of himself. He wouldn't do self-care. So the guy had more to give away at this point in his life than, I don't mean to condemn him after his death, but anyway, he, <laughs> he really did have more to give away in, these, in the decades that could, right now, and, and, and he's not around to give it away. He had more wisdom, more knowledge, more skill, but he would not take care of his physical body. He wouldn't sharpen the saw. I couldn't get him to. But his mom, on the other hand, maybe it was a rejection against his mom. His mom is the most, she dances 
like, I don't know, probably at 100, she'll still be winning, you know. I'll see pictures of her with some kind of an award for ballroom dancing, you know. She's amazing in the exact opposite of what her son did. All right, so those are some of the things. What, you missed one. Like, what's the weekly thing you should be doing? Devotions with your spouse, that's a great idea. One of the great things uh, spouses say once they've been married for a little while, have you ever seen spouses sitting across from each other at McDonald's and they don't talk? All right. Do you ever sit across from your spouse and you're thinking, I know I should talk, but we've talked about everything, <laughs> you know? The only thing we haven't talked about is the latest problem, and that's not really going to go well. <laughs> So some help on that real quick. Uh, some couples read books together. My wife and I started reading marriage books together because we, ha- we are in our second marriage. My marriage failed as a pastor. One reason I'm here. I failed. But I said, 20, 75% of second marriages fail. Mine's, we're going to work. It. We're going to. So we started reading marriage books together. We've read over 20 books together, reading them to one another. And when we read them, we say, we've been married now uh, six years. And when we read them, we say, that it's not even about the book. We're not trying to get through the book. It's about the conversations the book creates. So sometimes we read a sentence and it creates a conversation and we've used up our 30 minutes that we had for reading that day that we we're going to do together. And so we're done. But that's okay. We had 30 minutes of conversation, one sentence out of the book. Sometimes we'll read a whole page or two, you know, and not much conversation. It just depends. But it's all about the, 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 getting, the, the conversation. So books, reading together is a way to have conversations when you've been married for a while. Another thing is uh, you can Google questions. Uh, some other guys like Bob Bill and others have these great questions for couples to you know, do on their anniversary or whatever. But there's hundreds and hundreds of questions you know, that you can ask one another. Some of them are very lame, uh, but they're those kind of like icebreaker questions, but they, provo- they, they catalyze getting into one another's souls in some places that maybe you might eventually hit upon, but it catalyzes. You get there deeper, faster. You're able to have those conversations. So that works in all your relationships. You guys, some of y'all may have seen this thing where it says 25 questions that will make any two people fall in love. Have you seen that? It's kind of a funny little experiment. If you watch Big Bang Theory, they did a show on it one time. But you can Google that as well. And, it, and it's these questions, and this two couples sit and ask each other these questions, just two random the idea is to find some random guy or girl and then just you know, do these questions. And by the end, you're like, I love you. I love you. <laughs> because the intimacy that happens through self-revelation in a safe place creates uh, an intimacy and a reigniting of love and fellowship. So marriages have to work at that. We need to work at connecting at deeper levels. And these are, these are things that can sharpen the saw. So you can all day be going, I'm a good husband, I'm a good husband, Right? <laughs> or you can get wiser and sharpen the saw, learn to ask good questions, learn to look somebody in the eye and, and really hear them deeply. And, uh, and the saw actually is like, oh, man, ooh, I'm really a good, I am a good husband, actually. <laughs> Somehow, God has sharpened the saw. All right. Uh, spirit, soul, body. Can I just say one way to think about being healthier is to live more like Jesus lived. Just walk more places. <laughs> okay? Carry logs over your shoulder as you do. <laughs> oh, wait. When you get there, it may be all over. But 
eat like Jesus ate? What do they keep finding out? I mean, every diet, you know, there's a million diets. You don't know. Should I eat sugar or not eat sugar? Should, well, that's pretty easy. Should I eat carbs or not eat carbs? Should I eat, you know, should I eat keto or not keto? You know, all the, you know, more fat, less fat. I think, you know, the Mediterranean diet over and over and over, they just say that's, you know, this is the gold standard, the Mediterranean diet, and then everything else is like maybe works, maybe works, this may, you know. So that Mediterranean diet, interestingly, is basically what Jesus ate. A little bit of meat, uh, but lots of, fr- lots of vegetables and fruit and whole grains and, you know, uh, not too much. You didn't see a lot of overweight people. You know what I mean? So you just learn to move that direction. And so I, 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 you know, I encourage it. Eat the way Jesus ate. I do have a friend that had a health problem. And, he said, and so, uh, so he went to a restaurant and I, and I told him this. And so he ordered lamb because he's thinking, surely Jesus would eat lamb. And it turned out that lamb was very inflammatory to him. And he said, Man, it didn't work. I did. I did what you, I said. Well, something. You know, it's a, it's a generalization. I mean, if the doctor says you're not supposed to eat lamb, then that's you know, just because Jesus did. Don't eat it. But all right, I think we let's see. Spirit, soul, body. What do we leave out? Mind. Several times yesterday, I was with people, and I basically had to say. Again, I didn't know I was preaching this, but I had to say to them, your issue is that you need additional capacity. Sometimes it had to do with their marriage. Sometimes it had to do with their income. Sometimes it had to do uh, with their skills as a pastor. But I'd say, how could you back away from the daily grind of what you're doing and ask the Lord, how could you expand capacity? You know, and I said, let me ask them, obviously, are you taking a Sabbath? You rest. Do you have that place that you get refreshed enough that you, you know, it's kind of like the oil on the chain. You know, you need that refreshing. But, okay, you're doing those, all right. Uh, so, how about you guys? In the area of your mind, what expands capacity? Interestingly, uh, your brain can be totally rewired. It's great news. The last decade, they've discovered that you can literally, they used to didn't even know that, you know, what they call uh, brain plasticity. They can, so you can have old habits that completely get rewired. You can have trauma of childhood that can be rewired. There is work that can do this. Generally, what builds brain cells and what really makes the difference is exercise and meditation. So exercise and then the kind of prayer that somebody was talking about over here, the more listening kind of prayer, the more uh, thoughtful prayer. Um, I was trying to expand my uh, prayer life, so I had read some of these great uh, writers on prayer uh, about some types of prayer, and I started exploring a couple of years ago more types of prayer. My wife and I go uh, in January every year now to a monastery, and we spend about three or four days every January hearing from the Lord for the year ahead. And so we were at the monastery two years ago, and I was trying to say, Lord, I want to learn some new prayers. I don't want to get new AG, but I, you know, I, I, at the same time, I don't want to be like, have to be always just Southern Baptist only or whatever, you know, <laughs> so, which is where I came from originally. And so uh, I, I was learning this kind of prayer called centering prayer, where you just take a, a name of, of God and you start meditating on God and you just say, Lord, fill me, help me to really understand. I think it's what happened when they're in Isaiah 6, and he says, uh, holy. In heaven, there's this angel just going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. 
what a boring job. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's what I always thought. I thought, all of eternity, this guy just stands there, holy, holy, <laughs> holy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> how many ways can I say it? Holy, you know. <laughs> then I was studying what holiness is, and it means the ways God is different than us, the way he's set apart from us. So that's infinite. So then I started thinking, what if every time he says the word holy, he gets a revelation of another way God is beyond us? Holy. 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 You know, he's just like, for all of eternity, every time he says it, there's new, you know, because think about this. When you get to the edge of the universe, what's after that? Is there like a wall? And if you did, what's on the other side of that wall? And what's beyond? And when you get back before time, what was before that? And before that, what started before that? What was before that? And when you go to the end of time, what's after that? And after that, what's after that? And what's after that? Our brain goes, tilt, tilt, holy, holy. And we start to realize who God is compared to who we are. So I'm in this monastery, and I'm asking the Lord. I, so he gave me the word uh, logos. And so I'm saying, logos. Oh, just reveal to me who you are as logos. And suddenly I went, he designed the, you know, the, the, the DNA that we're just learning how to sort of take pictures of. Or, you know, you know 23 and me, you know, figure out. The, he... He designed it, but below that, it's, it's nano things, you know, it's, it's quarks, and it's, it's atoms, I mean, below the atoms, you know, there's all these electrons, and we don't even know, like, are electrons made of other electrons, are they made of others, you know, how far down does that go, and then how far, then it's out to the, you know, the solar system, and then, and then our, we're one star of a hundred billion in this galaxy, and then there's a hundred billion galaxies. And, and then uh, about the time I was at that monastery, they had just discovered that they decided there's not a hundred billion galaxies of a hundred billion stars. There's, there's actually 10 times that amount. There's a trillion galaxies like the Milky Way galaxy, each with a hundred billion stars. And my brain's like, and so I'm going, Logos. You made all this. You hold it all together. You designed it all. And man, something happened. All of a sudden, in this moment, it's like the Lord just opened up a peephole into the, into the creation. And I went, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And then I'm thinking, why don't I take Sabbath? Why don't I come to monasteries? Why don't I hang out with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Why don't I hang out with the one who owns all? I'm sitting here in my little human effort with this dull saw trying to live life and love people and love myself. You know, and, and I could be hanging out more with the guy who created it all, who's way beyond my mind's even ability to even begin to conceive his greatness, his might, his power, his wisdom, his truth. And so instead, I'm trusting in me. How stupid is that? It's like getting hit in the head with a log. Just bam! I am being stupid here. I should, I should hang out with God. I should get refreshed. I should love God love others as I love myself. I need to do the things that give me greater capacity. 
And that comes from God. I need to hang out with God. I need to do the things His way. I need to, I need to more prioritize refreshing with the Lord. Because then out of that refreshing comes all this other stuff will, will take care of itself. Amen? I need to be that man after God's own heart so that even when I'm screwing up big time, somehow God has a way of just marvelously working it together for good for those that love Him, called according to His purpose. Does this make sense? All right, so we need to serve, we need to be diligent, we need to work hard, but we cannot do that at the cost of not being filled with Him. If the worship team will come, I'm glad you guys told me we were done about 15 minutes ago. So, (laughs) Thank you for your grace on that. I obviously don't get to preach often enough. Here's a question for you as the worship team plays for, for a moment. I just want you to ponder this. What area of your life right now needs additional capacity? What area are you being uh, driven in your own effort, but you know that somehow you've got to back away from it and ask God to give you additional capacity? Is it your relationships? Is it your service to the Lord and ministry? Is it your job? Is it your children? You know, is it your physical body and your physical health? Is it um, your mind? You need to get further education. A few years ago, the Lord said, I want you to become an expert at caring for pastors. So I started researching that. And in my research, I ended up bumping into a a doctoral program in it. And I thought, oh, I should, okay. And so I signed up. And all of a sudden now, I'm, I'm helping pastors who are helping congregations who are in ways that I couldn't have imagined, but what happened was the Lord assigned me to something that would expand capacity and would be kind of a place of, of, of sitting aside, seemingly wasting time reading books and seemingly wasting time going to these classes. And instead of helping pastors, I'm just learning about helping pastors. But then what happened was capacity began to expand and then God began opening doors to help more pastors. So what are the areas in your life that you need additional capacity. Can you think of those, what they are? Is it spiritual? Is it mind? Is it body? Is it soul? Is it relationships? Is it the will? Lord, I pray that you would uh, dig in right now. Lord, as I drove over here today, you activated in my heart a sense that there were going to be transactions of impartation from you today at this moment in this service where you were going to speak to some people about expansion of capacity and that expansion of capacity, what they decided today, what they heard from you today was going to uh, enable a flow of the kingdom through their life that they have no idea that they're even capable of. I think about when I knew that I needed capacity in marriage, I'd failed. And Mindy and I began, you told us to, to just read through books together. We thought one or two. 20 books later, we began to be asked to speak at marriage conferences. Two broken people. A divorced pastor speaking at marriage conferences? How stupid is that? But somehow, Lord, you are greater than my stupidity. Lord, what is it right now that's 
What is it that's buried inside of this congregation right now that you're wanting to expand capacity? You're wanting to sharpen the saw, Lord. You're wanting to prepare them for for the ability to do something great down the line. That right now you're wanting to impart freshness and refreshing and impartation and, 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 and fullness. You're wanting to fill their bucket in an area. Help them to hear your voice right now. If you feel like the Lord's told you a specific area of capacity growth that he's assigning to you, I want you just to raise a hand so I know that. As you get one, just lift your hand up and down just to say, yes, the Lord's told me an area that capacity needs to change. Lord, I I would ask it now that you would give each person that raised their hand, what would be the next step in raising capacity? As I started into the doctoral thing, I had no idea there was a doctorate in in caring for pastors. I just knew that I could get online and start reading what other people were doing. And I started there. And then it opened up the next step and the next step. And now there's been many more steps since then. But you need the next step. Lord, I pray that you'd give each person, what is the next step? to expand capacity, to sharpen the saw, to take time away from the doing, to increase the being, to take away from the giving, to increase the receiving. Show each person, Lord, what that is. So that they would have more to give away in the future. All right, let's stand up and let's worship the Lord. And uh, just let that kind of settle into your soul what you're going to do in response to this message, what you're going to do in response to this call to love others as you love yourself, as you do self-care in the appropriate sense of that word, expanding the capacity of your spirit, soul, body, mind, so that you have more to give away.